Well, if I haven't met you yet, I'm Mark, as Darren said, been on staff here for about three months, and we are adjusting to the Florida life, and uh, we like it. It's not without challenges, right? But um, it's a neat little corner of the world. We're very blessed to be with you guys, and this is a great church, and so we're so happy to be here with you. And uh, as Darren said, find Acts 16 if you're joining us online, if you'll find Acts 16 there. We get to continue in this very exciting book of what God is doing in the early church. So find Acts 16. It comes a point in our lives, at, I think everyone's life, at some point when we awaken to the reality of the rat race of life. You know that Ecclesiastes moment where you're like, is it all meaningless? <laughs> like as a kid, you're thinking, like, I get really good grades so I can get into a really good college so I can get a good job so I can make some money so I can retire one day, and then what comes next, right? And you start to say, what, what is it all for? And I'm solidly in my midlife now, in my 40s. So I think I've already had my crisis, so don't worry. But I, at this stage, you start to go like, what is it all about? There's got to be something more, right, than just living for the grind and living for, to sustain your family and then retire one day. There's got to be something more. And, and here's what I found. A life of self-interest is not all it's cracked up to be. You'd think that living for yourself, your own goals, your own ambitions, your own reputation and agenda would be satisfying, but truth be told, it's not really. Living out of self-interest is small-minded and it's narrow and it's kind of claustrophobic. God calls his people to something so much more something very much bigger than just living out of self-interest. Here's my main point this morning. Something bigger happens when we live for something bigger than ourselves. Something bigger happens when we live for something bigger than ourselves. Now, we're going to work our way through Acts 16 in little bits, and we'll, I'll share along the way. So Acts 16, let's just read the first five verses. So follow along as I read God's word here. Acts 16, 1 through 5. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. So we follow Paul and Silas on this journey. And now we pick up Timothy and Luke is with them as well. But they meet this young man. His name is Timothy. And if you've read the, the, the book of Acts, you know that Timothy becomes one of Paul's closest, most devoted compadres. They're just partners in ministry. And here they meet Timothy. Now the team works its way through various cities and they're encouraging the church, right? So they're going from this city to that city. And as they go, they're just encouraging the church. And what they're doing is the Holy Spirit has begun a work and they're encouraging and they're fanning into flame and they're, and they're seeing the church just grow and be strengthened. It's an exciting time. But at every bend in the road in chapter 16, as we go through this chapter, we're going to see these first followers. We're going to see them be more concerned with the mission 
than with their own lives. They're, they're more concerned with something bigger than themselves. And so I want to look at this. I want to keep reading. Look at their self-sacrifice in verses 6 through 10. So back at the text, Acts 16, verse 6 through 10. Here's what God's word says. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So several priorities that we see in these first followers here. And here's the first. Not my agenda, but God's. Not my agenda, what I want to do, but God's. So the team here forgoes their agenda, their itinerary, and the Spirit's leading them. They, they had to reroute twice, right, their course. They, they wanted to go into Asia, but it, the text says the Holy Spirit forbade them. And then they attempt to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus, the text says, did not allow them. Side note, by the way, Jesus, though he has resurrected and now ascended to heaven, is still doing his ministry. Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, it says, is, is leading them. So I find it so beautiful to know that Jesus is with them, right? Jesus is the one doing the ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit, through these apostles. End of side note. Now, I don't know how that they were redirected. I don't know how this worked. I don't know why they knew that the Spirit forbade them. I don't know if there was closed borders or a natural disaster or, or, or the Holy Spirit just spoke to them audibly and said, no Asia. I don't know what happened, but somehow they knew that the Holy Spirit was redirecting their course, right? Changing their itinerary. And then in the middle of the night, Paul has a vision where a man from Macedonia is calling, pleading for help. And so now they know, okay, this is what God's doing. He's taking us here, not where we thought we were going, but here. And everything that happens in the rest of the chapter, chapter 16 is very exciting. We're going to get into some, some of my favorite accounts from from the book of Acts here. But everything that happens, it happens because the Holy Spirit is leading and they're sensitive. They're, they're willing to listen. They, they're, they're, they're aware. God, where do you want us to go? Okay, you don't want us there. Now where? So because they're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, God is going to do all the things we see here in the chapter. And I ask you, are you and I willing to do the same? Are we willing to set aside our agenda be sensitive enough to the spirit that we're listening and that we reorganize, that we redirect. Are you the kind of person that is very organized and you like your to-do list, right? And you like to check them off. Isn't it satisfying to check? And I, there's some apps that actually make a ding when you check. That's my favorite. And sometimes you, you make several tasks out of one task because it feels really good. And some of us are wired that way. Some of you are early to every appointment. Really, you know, that's just the way you are. And that's a good thing. That's actually part of being like an organized, responsible human being. But what happens when that stuff gets all messed up? When your agenda, your calendar gets rearranged, how do you respond to that? What happens when God makes it clear that he's got something different for you than what you thought you had? 
Maybe your heart has been set on a particular thing, but try as you might, there's roadblocks and it just isn't happening and you're not sure what God's doing. You know, in the last three months, we came here and we had to buy a house in this market, which is like every day you're just praying. You're looking at Zillow and you're praying and you're like, God, something, come on. I don't have a cash offer, so God, I need, I need a miracle here. And uh, it was hard. And one of the things my wife and I kind of discovered along the way was we had our heart set on a particular area. We really wanted to live in South St. Pete and we just really thought that's what God was doing and we tried and we tried and a lot of people that have tons of money, it just didn't work, okay? And so God led us to this one house and we, 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 we believe he led us to this house and we're praying about it and we're like, okay, it's not what we planned. It's not in the area that we thought we would live. But I think this is what God has. And he, he paved the way and praise the Lord, he provided this house. But it, it was literally us having to look at each other and say, you know what? I guess that's not what God has. He wants us here. Now we live in Tyrone area. We did not hear a man from Tyrone calling in a vision telling us, Tyrone neighborhood, it's where you're supposed to be on mission living. That's not what we heard, but the spirit moved, closed doors. I mean, all kinds of stuff happens. So what happens when you're frustrated because you're trying something and it's not, it's not happening? Or maybe you, you, God has put it on your heart to do something, to serve, to maybe disciple somebody, but you're worried that it's going to mess your calendar all up, right? Like, I know I should probably help with local kids. This is a plug. Maybe I should help with local kids, but it's going to jack my calendar up, right? Um, not everyone's supposed to serve with local kids, but you know what I mean. Maybe God's putting on your heart somebody that you're supposed to sit down with and read through the gospel with, right? And you're like, I just don't think I can do it. Okay, well, maybe this is not the right time, but maybe God has you to rearrange your calendar. I distinctly remember being back in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, where I pastored for a while, and I got a call from a guy who was in Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and he said, Mark, I know you are a college wrestler. Would you consider being a chaplain for a Division I wrestling school there in, in our city? And I was like, man, I have zero time. Like, this, this is stupid for me to do it. And I told him, I said, I don't think I can do it, but I'll pray about it. And as I prayed about it, God really, really put it on my heart. Like, Mark, maybe you need to change your calendar. Maybe you're doing a lot of stuff that maybe some of that doesn't need to be done. And so that's what I did. And I look back, it was some of the most, it was some of the most fondest memories I have of ministry, discipling young men in college. And I'm so glad that I just listened to what the Spirit said. But it's hard because we're always at capacity. We're always busy. So maybe God wants you to reorganize. Maybe this past week, God wrecked your plans. Like you had all these good plans, God wrecked them. Maybe you didn't even realize it was God wrecking them, but you're just like, this is so frustrating. And I want to say to you, consider yourself blessed. Because that means that God has something different for you. And if you're able to listen and you're able to pay attention to the Spirit, then there will be gospel fruit that will come. Here we see that the team move throughout a region and very quickly, Paul and company, they see this gospel fruits. And so I want to read about that, verses 11 through 15. Follow along here. Acts 16, 11 through 15. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. 
And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Here we see what Darren just talked about, hospitality, right? This, this new believer who God opened her heart. Her name's Lydia. She's a successful businesswoman. And God radically saves her. Notice, God opens her heart. It, it required God opening her mind, opening her heart, and showing her the truth of the gospel. And she puts her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. She's baptized, and she becomes this, this uh, follower of Christ who has hospitality for the, for the group here. Now, I guarantee that at this point, Paul and Silas and the team were glad that they obeyed the Spirit, that they didn't go where they wanted to go because what did God have? God had this family to come to faith. And so they're seeing fruit as they obey. Now, let's read on in verses 16 through 24. Here's where things start to escalate a little bit in the story. So follow along with me, 16 through 24. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Now Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So ministry in Philippi starts to take off and all along the while there's this young woman who's following behind them and she's, she's got this mantra that she repeats. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now Paul puts up with it for a little bit and then enough is enough and he, he puts an end to it. He, he casts out the demons. Notice immediately, right? The power of God just immediately casts out this demon but you might wonder, why did he feel the need to do this? I mean, what she says is kind of complimentary to them, right? She's kind of validating that there's something important. There's a couple of reasons, I believe. And the, the first is that this young woman was exploited, and that probably breaks his heart. I mean, she is God's creation, created in his image, but she's lost freedom. She lives to make her slave masters money, and what's worse is she's demon-possessed now. So here we have a young woman exploited by humans, exploited by demons, and this is not what she was created for. And Paul sees her, and he sees her need, and I believe he has compassion. That's one of the reasons he does this. But another reason, I believe, is because this praise from this woman could have muddied the waters of the gospel. First of all, there's an association with demons, right? But then there's even what she says. If you know anything about the city, they were... They, they, they believed in polytheism, all these gods, you know, a pantheon of gods. And she's saying, this is the most high God. 
And, and Paul does not want God or Christ to be maligned in any way. He's not just one of all these gods and the best of them. He's the only God. And so he has to step in. He has to des- decide, what am I going to do? I don't want the gospel to be associated with this. Paul was passionate about preserving the integrity, the purity of the gospel. And so what he does is he risks his reputation for God's reputation. Because he knows as soon as he does this, people are going to be angry and he may be in trouble. That's the second priority here for followers of Jesus. Not my reputation, but God's reputation. Right? Not my reputation, but God's. So for the sake of this lost slave girl, And the purity of the gospel, Paul steps in. He casts out the demons. And did you notice it says that basically the money left with the demons. It it uses the same exact word, actually, to say that it's gone. The hope of making money was gone, just like the spirits. So this woman is freed from her, her demon possession, but these guys are angry. Paul knew this would stir trouble. He, he, He feared the backlash, which is why he let it go for a while. But enough was enough. Come what may, Paul was not going to let the gospel be tarnished or have it be muddied in any way. He wanted to keep it crystal clear. It's not a gospel that's associated with demons. God is not one of many gods. He is the only God. I wonder, do you and I care about God's reputation? Do we care about the gospel and how clear it is to people? Or are we concerned about our reputation? So I was thinking about this, and one of the things that often happens to me is I find myself talking to somebody who says, oh, I'm a Christian too, and then they start to talk about how they're trying to be a good person and like moral, and they hope that one day God will look upon their morality, and uh, and to them, what being a Christian means is trying to be a good person, like Jesus was a good person. That's that's the way they understand Christianity. And in that moment, I I find myself in an awkward situation where I want to clarify the gospel and say, you know what? It's actually not about anything that I do. It's actually about Jesus Christ. He's done it all. He died on the cross. He lived a perfect, righteous life. And and if I put my faith and trust in Jesus, I'm in Jesus. Jesus is in me. My old life is gone. I want to be able to just clarify the gospel, but I I find myself sometimes a little nervous. Like, I mean, everything's really amicable right now. You're a Christian. I'm a Christian. Everything's good. And if I mess with that, I know they're going to be like, oh, who do you think you are, you know? You have a better gospel than I do. I just, I, I struggle with that. Do you struggle with that sometimes? You know, God is putting on your heart. I'm not talking about being like a watchdog or the police, like, oh, false doctrine, false doctrine, false doctrine. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about God has put it on your heart, right? The Spirit is working. You know that He wants you to say the gospel clearly, but you're kind of chicken because you know that your reputation is on the line. They're going to think of you as that that other, that guy, or that girl. So I want to be more concerned with, with God's reputation than mine. What God thinks of me and how God is viewed than how I'm viewed. Does it bother you when Jesus' name is maligned? The gospel is misrepresented. It's not about my reputation, it's about God's. Third, not my comfort, but God's glory. Not my comfort, but God's glory. Let's read verse 25. Just sit on verse 25 for a moment. This is a, an amazing verse, right? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. Remember where they are? They're in the middle of a, a prison, okay? Praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And I've always been blown away by this, even, even as a child when I'd read this account. Like, they are in, first of all, they're beaten, they're bloodied, 
and they're in the middle of a dark, dank prison. These are prisons that don't, don't have HBO. They don't have weights. They don't have... Out, th this is like disgusting place, probably rats. I can't prove that, but I think there's rats there, okay? This is a bad spot, and what are they doing? What would I be doing? I'd be very tempted to have some, some play a little pity party, right? Like I was doing the right thing. I was serving God, and here's where I am. Or maybe playing the martyr card, you know? Oh, suffering for Jesus, and they're talking about that. All they're doing is praising and praying and worshiping. And I, I sit there and go, really? <laughs> and did you notice what other people are doing? What are they doing? They're listening. They're paying attention. First, probably because they thought they were psycho, okay? They were probably like, these, these guys are not mentally well. But as they listen and as they watch, I believe God is doing a work here. This discouraging, painful setback opens wide a door for ministry. We'll see in a couple verses here. And this is what happens when I'm more consumed with God's glory than my comfort. More concerned with God getting the attention and praise than me and how I feel and what's going on. Sometimes God is going to take us through some uncomfortable, downright painful experiences. But he's never promised comfort. He has promised that he'll never leave us or forsake us and that he's going to work even the evil in our lives for his glory and for our good, right? So he's there with them in this moment as they're worshiping. And our God is worthy, isn't he, of all the praise and the glory even when things are really hard and things are really dark. God is still worthy of our praise. Here's exhibit A about it's not my comfort, it's about God's glory. Now, exhibit B, I'm going backwards. If you go to the beginning of the chapter and you flip there and you look at it, I think exhibit B of this point, God's glory, not my comfort, is Timothy when he makes the choice to put the mission before his comfort and get circumcised. I mean, he decided to do this or Paul convinced him of it. I don't know. I'd love to be in that conversation. But you might have read it and think to yourself, like, wait, why is he getting circumcised? Because didn't we just learn that the circumcision is not required? For Christ followers, so why, what's going on here? It's a little confusing when you study Galatians and you, you understand all the things about that are happening in the early church. Well, his, he's half Greek, Timothy, right? He's half Greek, he's half Jew, and now God's calling him to be a missionary to Jewish and Gentiles, to Jews and Gentiles. And it says because he's going to minister to Jews who know that he's not fully Jewish, because of that he decides, you know what, I don't want anything in the way I don't want anything in the way of the gospel. And so he does something very self-sacrificing. He gets circumcised. So I just see again and again in this chapter this idea that, you know what, the mission's more important. The mission's more important than my reputation. It's more important than my comfort. Here again we have Paul and Silas in this cell. And I'm blown away by the way that they respond. You know, I, I want you to hear this clearly. Timothy did not have to get circumcised. We know from reading Galatians, from what I already said, Acts 15, but he chose to. He didn't have to, but he chose to. And I wonder, what is God asking me to do? Not maybe necessarily because I have to, because I should want to. I don't want any stumbling block in the way of the gospel. I don't want anyone to be confused. And so God asks us to give up our comfort for his glory. Acts 16, verses 26 through 40. I want to read this now. This is... Uh, this is fascinating. So follow along with me, verse 26, down through the rest of the chapter. And suddenly, so they're in the prison, they're worshiping, 
People are listening. Verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Notice again, hospitality, right? (laughs) Verse 35, but when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So here are the priorities. Not my agenda, but God's. Not my reputation, but God's. Not my comfort, but God's glory. And lastly, not my preservation, but God's mission. Not my preservation, but God's mission. Every one of us have this innate desire to preserve ourselves. It's like a human instinct, right? Save yourself, preserve yourself. That's the way that I think that we're wired. It's part of what keeps us alive. But when you live for the kingdom, the thing about the gospel is it, it, it frees us to live in an upside down way where we sacrifice ourselves for the cause, the mission, what God's called us to do. Now, I told you I've always been blown away by their singing in prison, but maybe this is even more amazing to me. Here the doors swing open. The, the, the shackles fall off, and what do they do? They don't leave. <laughs> what are you doing, right? This goes against every jailbreak movie I've ever seen. Right? This is like a, this is, God has paved the way for them, and God sent the earthquake. Isn't this a green light to get out of Dodge? Now back in Acts 12, if you, if you look at that later, you'll see that Peter's in prison and the angels come and they release him and he leaves. And you know what happens to the guards? They're killed because this was the punishment in that day, just like the, the, the jailer was getting ready to kill himself. But what's different here? Why do they not just leave? What do they stick around for? Well, here the Holy Spirit is leading Paul and Silas. He has not freed them yet to leave. Every step that they take is, is, is based on the Spirit and the Spirit's uh, direction. And this is really what we're talking about here in Acts 16. These priorities, these priorities are being filled with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, being in Jesus, abiding in Him and having Him abide in us. It's not living for myself, but the Spirit through me. And they realize we have a mission here. We're here for a reason, not just to be in prison and not just to sing, but this guy needs Jesus, 
and God is doing something right now. Now, I've never known any prison wardens personally, uh, but my stereotype is this, hardened, rough guys, creative language, the kind of guys that aren't really scared by much, you know, they're, they're, they're tough, okay? This is my mindset anyway. I think you'd have to be that way to deal with what they deal with, right? <clears throat> but here we have a guy who is brokenhearted, and he humbly cries out, what must I do to be saved? He might think with the earthquake that there's judgment coming. We're not sure, but he just wants salvation. He realizes that he's, he's in trouble. This is a golden opportunity. How many times do people come up to you and say, what must I do to be saved, right? It, it, it hap it's, happened, it's happened at least once that I can think of in my life, and it was amazing, okay? Um, but this is a golden opportunity. Why? Because they submitted to the Spirit, and they were more concerned about the mission than themselves, their comfort, right? Because they're doing this, because the Spirit's doing this through them, now they have this opportunity, and we see gospel fruit. So here's what it comes down to. Paul and Silas see rescue opportunity where many would see escape opportunity. Most people would be like, oh, I'm out of here. Like, this Thank you, Lord. Jehovah Jireh, let's go get some food. And they see an opportunity for rescue. They realize there's somebody there that's in need, more in need than they are, and they respond. How passionate are we about the mission of making disciples that God has given us? I'd consider myself fairly missional, but I'm convicted by this chapter, really, because I don't know. I know that I focus on myself too much. That I know. Is it walking in step with the Spirit? Is my life about walking in step with the Spirit? What's the prevailing, like driving motive of my life? Is it, Holy Spirit, what do you want from me today? Is it the mission of making disciples? Is it more my reputation or God's reputation? Do I sacrifice my agenda or do I not even think about God's agenda? Do I sacrifice and seek my own, do I seek my own comfort or do I sacrifice that comfort for miss, uh, missional opportunities, chances to share the gospel? And when push comes to shove, is my reflex self-preservation or is it the mission? And as I consider that this week, I was convicted because I know for a fact that too much of the time, I'm focused on me. Now, when our first thought is not self-interest, but gospel interest, we will be willing to forgo our agenda. We'll be willing to forgo our reputation. We'll be willing to forgo our comfort. We'll be willing to forgo our freedoms. And what happens? When we do that, what happens? I want you just to take a bird's eye view of the chapter. We've read the whole thing now. What happens in this chapter? Well, an exorcism happened, right? That's pretty powerful. Demons were, were cast out of a woman and that showed God's authority over the supernatural. We have an earthquake. That's pretty amazing. That's God's power over the natural world. Here's what I want you to notice. Even more than these things, as powerful as an exorcism is, as powerful as an earthquake is, here's the real miracle of Acts 16. A church is formed. A church begins here in Philippi. That's a miracle. That's more of a miracle than all of the things that we've seen. Two households at least, maybe the demon-possessed woman as well. I, I think she probably did become a Christian. It's not clear there. We have a church forming from these different people. That's a miracle. This right here, the building of Christ's church, is the something bigger that God has called us to. 
So we talk about living a life of self-interest or living a life that's bigger than that. This is what I'm talking about. This is Acts 16. I think in our more honest moments as humans, we do want to live for something bigger, right? Whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're still on the fence about him and, and giving him your whole life, you want your life to count for something, right? My point here this morning is the biggest thing you can live for, the biggest impact you could have as a human is to become engaged in the mission, to sacrifice yourself for the mission of making disciples. This is what the world's about. It doesn't look like it sometimes, you know, if you just watch the news or you just live in this world. It doesn't get a lot of airtime. But this is what it's all about, is God calling a people to himself and, and building his church. Sure, people like Julius Caesar and Thomas Edison will be remembered for all of human history, right? And Elon Musk is going to go down as one of the strangest and most influential and successful people, I think. But this life is a vapor, right? The Bible says this life is a vapor. This life will be over and then eternity. What will last after the universe melts and God recreates it? What is it about? What is eternity about? Eternity is about celebrating the fact that God has rescued men, women, children for his glory and he's built a people for himself. That's what heaven's about. That's what the new, new world is about. It's about celebrating that. And you and I have a part to play in that. Isn't that exciting? You and I are part of this one most important thing in the universe. So move over Genghis Khan, right? And, and Bill Gates, not, not as important as we thought. The most important people, the most peop important people in the kingdom of heaven anyway are those who, like Christ, give up themselves for the cause, for the mission. As it says in Matthew 20, Jesus came not to be served, right, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what it's about. I want you just to look around and I want you to see this local church, right? It's not the only local church, but here is a local church that God has formed. This is, a God's, this is of God's doing. This is God's mercy. And this is way bigger than you or I probably realize, right? What this is. What this is is God calling people out of sin and darkness and isolation into faith and love and community. This is big. And it's easy for us to forget it, right? This is what God's doing. And this is what our God's all about. One of the things we should really notice here in Acts 16 is what God will do to rescue people from sin and to himself. He will shuffle people's schedules. He will change your itinerary. He will send an earthquake. He will exercise demons. He will move heaven and earth to save a people for himself. And he's going to use you and me to do that. At times, it's going to require difficulty, discomfort. It's going to take, require taking up our cross, right? Setting aside what we want. Local church, what kind of attitude do you have? What kind of priorities do you and I have? When Paul and Silas were receiving their 20th lash, I wonder what was going through their mind. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was something like, not my agenda, but God's. Not my reputation, but God's. Not my comfort, but God's glory, and not my preservation, but God's mission. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for
this beautiful chapter where we see powerful things happening. You're moving heaven and earth to save a people for yourself. Lord, it's hard because if we live in this world, it seems like what really matters is prestige and power and money and success and a healthy family and, and all of these things. But God, what we realize when we read your word is that your kingdom is what is actually happening. It's small. It starts like a mustard seed. We don't really see where it's going, but we believe, God, that this is what you're about, and we just count it such a privilege to be involved in that. God, thank you for calling us to yourself. Thank you for this local church. Would you use us, God, as we reprioritize, as we lay down our life and our agenda and our reputation and our comfort for your cause, and God, we expect you to do big things. People to come to Christ. That's what we desire. That's what we pray for. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.